We're live on Facebook, Luke. Introduce who our special guest is. All right, welcome to Bible Banter with uh, Luke and Eric. And today we're excited to have a special guest, Bob Copeland. Uh, Bob is connected to us in many ways. He is my dad. He pastored at the church that Eric pastors at now for 13 years. And I, I would say that both of us consider him a friend. Uh, and in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about the topic of the day, which we're really excited to discuss with him. But we always like to start these episodes with something a little bit lighter. Uh, sometimes we'll spend this time cracking jokes. Sometimes we'll talk about favorite foods. Today, I wanted to ask a bit of a reflective question of Bob. Um, and I, what made me think of it is, while you are within the denomination, actually still fairly young, compared to young bucks like me and Eric, you know, we're, uh, we're both around the age of 30, and I won't say exactly how old you are, but you're getting close to 60. Older than 30. Older than 30. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so we're talking about, uh, you know, almost double our age, if not a little bit more. In at least not older than dirt, though. No, no, no. Uh, and, and like I said, within the denomination, you're, you're still young. Um, but since you do have two roughly 30-year-olds here, I wanted to ask you, what is one thing that you know now that you wish you had known when you were 30? Mm, great question. Glad to be with you guys. And uh, I'm proud of both of you. We're blessed to have young guys like you. And we get a double bonus because you're both expositors of the word. So, uh, and I'm going to say this to you guys. Uh, you're light years ahead of where I was at 31 and 29. So I'm excited to hear what God's going to do uh, in your ministries. So. Uh, one thing I would share that I've learned through the years of ministry, boy, there's, there's a lot of things as the years go by. I, I guess I would say uh, be very careful how many hills you die on. Somebody once said, you can only die on a handful of hills. So be careful that you don't die on every little hill. Choose the, choose the big majors, uh, big things uh, that come along because going to be a lot of places where you can stick the flag in uh, but choose them really really carefully and uh, make sure that the, the Lord and Spirit are directing you in those places probably the biggest piece I'd give okay that's pretty good that's good yeah so so Bob have you ever seen the office uh, I, I've seen maybe one or two I just never have gotten into the office I'm sorry there's still hope for you <laughs> might be my age <laughs> it might be we are big fans or at least i am of the office and um luke and i talked a little bit last week about how or was it last what day is today i don't even know what day it is um uh, it's, it's thursday, thursday. And I don't, this is an impossible sentence for you to finish because there wasn't one day that we talked about the office you reference it every time we do this well yeah that's true <laughs> i can't help myself um i have a problem but uh yeah so the office i think has defined uh, many people and so let, let, let's do this then since he's he's not a huge fan of the office dad what is your favorite tv show to watch i'm i have a guess in my mind oh oh my my all-time favorite show easy yeah. everybody loves raymond I, i've oh, got all man. nine seasons and i watch them ad nauseum and your poor mother over and over and over again. God bless her. Cause, man, that's worse than the show Friends. Unpopular opinion, Friends is a terrible show. <laughs> so, so I was, I was going to say MASH, but I should know it's Everybody Loves Raymond, of course. Yeah, Everybody right. Loves Raymond. 
Matter. Uh, that's a classic. That's good. So showing my age, and you guys could care less about that show, I'm sure. So <laughs> Hey, hey, I have I have fond memories of that show because we watched it so much as a family, I'll have you know. It may not be yeah. my favorite, but I get warm feelings whenever it comes on. Well, and I'll tell you what, I laugh over and over again. I got them all memorized, but I still laugh at the same places. So, yeah. Wow. Good show. That's interesting. Should we go, should we go ahead and introduce the, uh, the topic of the day? I mean, I know there's going to be plenty to say about it. Um, so today we're going to talk about revival. And for anyone who's wondering why we're talking about that, it's because uh, if there is one person... Uh, not only in the denomination, but just that I know anywhere who uh, trumpets the call of revival more than anyone else. It's probably Bob Copeland. And um, later on in the episode, I'm, I'm excited to have some sort of back and forth. One of the things about being on Bible Banter, I think one of the risks is that you're always going to get a little bit of pushback. That's just sort of in our nature. But but I wanted to actually Let's start do it. out. I wanted to start out by just giving you the chance to um, share something I know you're really passionate about. So let's start with this. Um, Bob, what is revival? Why is it so important? And why is it so important to you? Okay. Uh, one comment about the opening thing, too. So I watch the show when I can, and I love it. I love the bantering back and forth. And Eric, you could have been raised in our family. You'd have fit right in. And you and Luke banter like him and his younger brother, Ross, do. So uh, I, uh, I enjoy it, and I chuckle when I'm watching it because it uh, just brings me back lots of reminders, brings me back in time. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, the, the whole – let me just give you a quick one-minute testimony how God brought me where I'm at. So I grew up. Uh, Unitarian Universalist Church across the street from where I grew up. Didn't grow up in a Christian home. Just went to church. Joined the Navy, U.S. Navy Seabees. Accepted Christ in the Navy when a missionary with Campus Crusade for Christ led me to the Lord. And um, so when I first got saved, 1981, God had evangelism, evangelism on my heart. And from 81 to 92, that just rested on my heart. In 1992, without lifting the burden of evangelism, he burned, and I mean burned revival, onto my heart. And uh, from that day forward, uh, just have a passion for it, and I long to see it. And, and I've seen smidgens of it, and maybe we can get into that a little bit later in the show. But I picked up a book. It was a small little book on four or five of the revivals in American history. And there were two quotes that grabbed my heart. Uh, one of them was, you can have evangelism without revival, but you'll never have revival without evangelism. So we should be about evangelism every day of our lives, but you'll never have a never has been one. It doesn't lead to evangelism if it's true biblical revival. And the other one was a quote from Dr. J. Edwin Orr, and he said, in evangelism, the evangelist seeks the sinner. But in revival, the sinner comes chasing after the Lord. And so, obviously, God is stirring in those people's heart who come charging after the Lord. But those two quotes grabbed my heart, and then God just uh, burned that whole uh, revival, and he hasn't let me let it go. And uh, I've told people, I go, joke may be on me. Maybe you'd be laying me to rest. And, ah, you didn't see it. But uh, I have seen smidgens. And I hope to see more in the days ahead. So. 
So well, can, you, can you for us define what, in your terms, revival is? Because my, whenever I heard, um, I'd only heard revival in a negative way before coming to the church that I pastor now. And, and like, like Luke shared, um, you're the pastor who pastored just before I did um, right here at this church. And when people started talking about revival, I pictured in my mind, big tents in an open field with cars pulled up and mm-hmm. a faith healer handling yeah. snakes and speaking in tongues. Um, and I, I immediately said like, whoa, 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 whoa. I ain't mm-hmm. about that life. Um, yeah. I'm about preaching the gospel and seeing the Holy spirit work through the preaching of the word. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that you agree with that. So I'm just curious how, in, how do you differ in, like when you say revival, what do you mean? Okay. And, and I'm going to make you guys wait about 10 minutes to hear my definition of revival. Oh, goodness. Okay? I can't, I don't have it. We're millennials. We don't have the attention span of, uh, <laughs> uh, of a man your age. So let's talk about, let's talk about the word revival for just a minute. So Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that revival in the church is the greatest need of the world. And I believe that. And uh, so think about the word revival. Uh, Dr. J. Edwin Orr is a great revival scholar. He experienced revival in his younger days and became a revival historian in his older days. But he talked about, so you're riding down the road and you see church signs. One church says, revival here every Monday night. Well, what are they doing the rest of the week, right? And then you go five miles away and you see a sign that says, revival every night but Monday. So what are they doing on Monday night? So uh, we use that word revival, I think, wrongly. And so uh, we have to be careful how we use it. So people will say, okay, we're going to have revival from the 15th onward. But we got to be done by Thanksgiving because we got a lot of important things to do. You can't talk about revival that way. You can't use it in that way. Uh, example, oh, somebody said, we had revival here last fall. And... Uh, in the, in the conversation, and uh, they said, but nobody got revived. Well, then you didn't have revival. And yet, no, no, the guy named the speaker, the guy named the musician, the guy named the money they used for promotion, and he said, we had a revival, but it never, ever got off the ground. And uh, I like what J. Edwin North says, maybe this is the only country in the world where a non-event is called an event just because we say so. And so, uh, how about this one? The country's in such a mess. Don't you think we ought to pray for revival? And somebody said, yeah, but we have revival every August. Let's not pray until we're closer to the time. So obviously the word revival has changed meaning. And that's what I think we have to look at. It's a revival, whether anyone gets revived or not. And the word revival is not found in an English Bible. But the word revive is. The word revival came into the English language in the year 1702. And at that time, from 1702 up till about the 1930s, every encyclopedia, every dictionary had this definition, an awakening in or of evangelical religion. In the 1930s, American dictionaries did this. A, what I just said. B, a series of meetings, especially in the South. And so with, here's where the word gets changed. So, so I want to say revival is not special services. Now, 
Um, I, I've preached in many a quote revival meeting. Personally, I don't like that term, revival meeting, because then people shorten it and say, we're having a revival next week. You know, that's a little presumptuous. We're not going to have a revival unless God shows up. Somebody called me one day and said, Pastor Copeland, will you come run us a revival? And I said, well, I'd be glad to come speak at your church, but I'm not qualified to run a revival. Uh, God has to do that. So here's my definition that I work with. I've oh, got, that, wasn't, that wasn't 10 minutes. That yeah, wasn't that's a minutes. pretty quick 10 minutes. Oh, I'm sorry. You're under No, no, no. Give us the definition. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, so, uh, so I went a little quicker than I thought before I gave you my <laughs> definition. I've got tucked in the back leaflet of my Bible 71 de definitions of revival. Gravy. But, but the one that I use is, and I've sort of coined it from doing lots of reading, I believe that revival is the manifest presence of the omnipresent, ever-present God. The manifest presence of the omnipresent, ever-present God. So I believe revival is something that God does. That God does. Okay. So would a more, because I, I, a lot of times we use terms that have uh, certain connotations with it, right? And, I, and you hit on that, Bob, with the term revival. It's changed over time how we define it. But like right. what you just, like if you described to me, um, uh, if you said, hey, what term would you use for the manifest presence of God or, or God um, more revealing his presence to his disciples, to his followers, what would you call that? And I would say being a believer. You know, that, that would just be like in and I think, you know, now are there different ways that you can categorize like you know, you have believers who can often like lull themselves into sleep and, and usually that's caused by their own sinfulness and, and chasing after the idols of this world. Um, and, and what happens is, and I love how you articulated, like this is a work of God. So mm -hmm. I do believe that God absolutely works um, in bringing people to faith and repentance, right? So they now, if you're one of those Christians that had load yourself to sleep that have essentially become deaf and dumb, then God has to reawaken you by the work of, of his spirit. Yes. And the Puritans would say, um, cause Jonathan Edwards was part of, of the great awakening. He would say that it's by the preaching of the word, that there's no other way that revival comes about apart from the faithful preaching of God's word. Mm-hmm. And, and here's, a, here's a great word on this whole thing. I think, uh, I don't know if I was talking with you the other day, Luke, but I was talking with a few of the preachers. So in um, every revival, the word played a key role. So there was most often a revival of preaching, but there were some revivals where there wasn't, quote, a revival of preaching, but the word still played a center place. For example, the Wales Revival, 1904-1905, uh, Evan Roberts was more of an exhorter. And he would go to a meeting and he would, he would walk the aisles and he'd exhort for about five minutes. And then they'd sing for about five or ten minutes. Then he'd exhort for another five minutes. And they'd sing for five or ten minutes. And in those exhortations was peppered the Word of God. The Testimony Revival, the Prayer Meeting Revival in America, in the 1860, and that, that stretch there. There are a lot of testimonies given, 
But so there wasn't necessarily, quote, a revival of preaching. But in those testimonies, if you go back and read some of them, they were peppered with the word of God. So even when it wasn't a, quote, revival of preaching, the word of God always had a center place in, in every, uh, every revival and every move of God and awakening. Now, just, just by some, the way that you're describing um, revival right now, I think there's actually a line of questioning I'd like to follow that may contrast what Eric just described with what you're describing, okay? Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Do you think, would you describe any conversion from non-believer to believer as revival? Uh, that's a great question, and how, here's how I'm going to answer that. I think... Clearly, in Scripture, I think it's pretty plain on this, both, both conversion and revival, what they have in common, they're both miracles from God. But you do, you do distinguish them. What's that? You, but you distinguish them from one another. So what Eric was describing earlier, which is that the repentance and faith that comes as a, a gift of God through the Holy Spirit, yeah. you acknowledge that miracle, but you wouldn't describe that as revival. Because to you, revival more refers to these these larger events that involve lots of people being affected at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, it's I'd call it a miracle. Salvation's a miracle, and I'd say revival is also a miracle. It is the supernatural work of God. Uh, now you can have individual revival, um, and there are people who have got to that place where. Um, their whole lives were revived. Matter of fact, every great move of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure without exception. So there was somebody who had an individual revival. So I would call salvation a miracle. And I'd say in some cases, you might be able to call it revival and some maybe not. So what, but what would, what's, what differentiates between someone coming to faith and revive? Because you know, your definition of the manifest presence of God becoming more aware. So the omnipotent presence of God becoming more aware to someone is revival. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't um, come to faith without um, yeah. coming into the presence of God. So I don't think your theological definition is matching up with the practical definition. Say that again. I don't think the theological definition is matching up, yeah. with, you know, that you shared. Because uh, uh -huh. you're differentiating between, you're saying this is what revival is theologically, yeah. but then w when we bring salvation into it, which, is, yeah. which meets this, this criteria that you've said, well, yes. no, that could be revival, but it might not be. So what might make it not be revival? Well, here's the thing. A lot of times with revival, you're talking about a scope. So are there people who've been revived individually? Yes. And there are some who would say that, um, you know, you begin with revival and, or you begin with renewal and then it turns to revival. And some say when it goes further, it becomes reformation. So sometimes revival, we talk about the scope. Um, but, but in saying that, uh, you can't say that, uh, with certain individuals, it wasn't revival, but I'm safer by saying, listen, uh, salvation is a miracle. Well, let me, and revival is too. Let me ask, and Edwards would agree with me on that. Let me ask, you, let me ask you a biblical yeah. question that may help us to sort of distinguish these, these things sure. you're discussing. Okay, would you say that Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 came to the faith, would you describe that as a revival? Absolutely. I'd call that the, the 
granddaddy of them all yeah. in some way. Now, there's Old Testament revivals. Well, we'll, we'll, Testament we'll get, we're going to get into that issue of where we see revival. Okay. We just want to make sure that we have an understanding of the definition we're using first. Right. Okay. Same book, Acts, a few chapters later, the conversion of the eunuch, one person. Yep. Would you describe that as revival? That's revival. Okay. Because, because... Think about where he went. He went back and tested the nation for ah, God. Ah, see, so you, so you, now you're beginning to distinguish for us what you're talking about. So to my understanding, when you use the term revival, um, even if it begins with one person, it, in, it ultimately involves many others. Yeah, okay. you, I would say revival usually grows in scope. You, wait, usually? No. Uh, usually, but not always? Um. I think that there, uh, I think there are people who have had uh, a conversion experience that is so well. I guess it would grow in scope if, let's say, they weren't a great revivalist, but they were used in their writings or they were used in something else. So I'd say revival uh, has to do. Okay. With okay. Scope. So you you would say it's a revival yep. if that move of God, which we all here acknowledge. Uh, God is the one who saves, right? We've, you've acknowledged that. I've, I know Eric believes that. You would, you would describe that as revival once it begins to affect other people and bring about that same effect in them. It, exactly. It's, it's almost the whole thing about discipleship. You know, the first time I heard, you know, when we were big into discipleship, I looked around and I went, the only thing I saw of discipleship was one person spending 40 years with the same two people and it never you know, they didn't go out and start a group and then have them go out and start a group. And so that's what I saw for discipleship. And when I first started hearing about discipleship, I didn't want much to do with it. I was all into evangelism at the time, but it was because I'd seen a bad example of discipleship often. Yeah, you know? well, you would, you would hate my definition of discipleship. <laughs> which my my, my, my definition of discipleship is the, it is really, it starts with evangelism. Um, because you're discipling someone well before they come to faith, or you might be. So, like, um, I've discipled my kids to be Boston Bruins fans. I mean, uh -huh. I just have, right? And uh, yeah. I remember when I was in the Army, I was discipled to be a great soldier. You can disciple people towards one thing or another. So oftentimes, whether it's with the people that we meet in the supermarket, in the workplace, whatever it might be, maybe it's our neighbors, that we are beginning the process of discipleship when we begin uh, praying for them and begin to sow, sow gospel seeds. And, yeah. and, and I'll like you, Bob, I, I hate the idea. I think it is an abomination before the Lord that someone can spend 40 years in the same group of two or three people and never once share the gospel outside of that group. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, just, that is just sitting down, getting fat and happy. Talk about gluttony, right? And we should be yeah. saturated with the word of God. We should be saturated yeah. in our prayer life and seeking the Lord. And that should spur us on the, the good grace and, and abundant grace that we've been given by God. We got to go and share it. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, th that makes the point for me anyway, is so um, somebody comes to Jesus. That's a miracle. We ought to all be rejoicing. And then he sits with the same two people for 40 years. That's not revival. Yeah. Well, and again, I think, like I can't think of the term revival without thinking like the whole signs and wonders thing. So like I, do, do we, I, do we want to get into that today? Cause on that one, you might be outnumbered. <laughs> well, you say that I'm outnumbered. I, I, anyway, 
I'm I'm not a big uh, I'm obviously I would not consider myself charismatic. Although Luke tends to refer to some pastors that I enjoy as charismatic, even though I don't think they refer to themselves as charismatic. <laughs> Just because you're a continuationist does not mean you're a charismatic. Um, I hey I can I conceded I conceded that category distinction. Okay, so I consider myself a continuationist, but I do not consider myself a charismatic. All right. Well, let's let, let's let's go into the subject. Let's go into the subject a little bit. Uh, Bob, would you say that most of the events that you in, in the in the life and history of the church that you identify as revival, would you say that? Um, or, or, let me put the question differently. Would you say that miraculous signs and wonders are an essential piece of revival, or are they just sometimes present? Uh, mir mir uh, miraculous signs and wonders. Is that what, mm -hmm. what you asked about? Like speaking in tongues, yeah. prophesying. Um, uh, uh, how, about, how about this? How about this? Anything supernatural other than conversion, okay. which we all recognize okay. as supernatural. L listen, um, it happened in almost every revival, but it doesn't have to happen to be revival. So there are some, uh, some people call the uh, 1860 prayer revival in America one of the purest ones ever. And there weren't lots of, uh, quote, signs and wonders, you know, big, spectacular things. But there still were miracles. For example, so, somebody would stand up and say, I need you to pray for so-and-so and, -so. and uh, my son, and they're far from the Lord. No idea in that packed place the son was in the back seat. And, and before that service was over, he came running to the altar with tears streaming down and said, that's a miracle. So, but there are signs and wonders in most... Uh, moves of God. And here's an example. Um, Wesley and Whitfield were very good friends, and they saw a lot of things differently. Uh, Wesley was Arminian, Whitfield was a Calvinist. Um, but they had a great friendship, but they also had some rocky times. And matter of fact, Wesley preached Whitfield's funeral. But Wesley had some things starting to happen in his meetings. There was deep groaning going on. People were under such conviction that they began to own loudly and deeply and some of them crumbled to the ground under the conviction of the Holy Spirit well Wesley said I mean I'm sorry Whitfield said that should not be happening and then not long after it started happening in Whitfield's meetings so then they had this discussion and Wesley wrote in his journal that night I think I trust that we shall all suffer God from this point forward to work in the way that pleases him so um, there is the miraculous and the supernatural in every revival. And, uh, but I would also say that doesn't have to be. Uh, I'll give you this example. I planted a church one time. And on the way out the door one day, somebody said to me, well, I guess God didn't show up today. And I went, whoa, hold on a minute. And they were saying that because they didn't see anything with their physical eyes that day. And I looked at him and I said, sometimes God does it deep deep work inside that we cannot see with our physical eyes so we have to be careful when we talk about miracles and manifestations but you it, you can't study revival and not deal with it so some people won't dig into revival for that reason they don't want to deal with the miraculous well some and i think and i i tend towards being a bit more uh conservative and i mean that not to not to juxtapose with with liberalism but i, I just look at it as a I'm a bit more conservative when it comes to the idea of, of the use of, uh, of sign gifts and whatnot. 
And I was reading an article not too long ago that was talking about the Azusa Street revival. Um, and, and the more I read about it, and again, this was through a reformed lens. I think it was through a Presbyterian lens. So lens. So I, I'm pretty sure they were, um, they were cessationists, but they were looking at a lot of the things that went on with the Azusa Street revival and said, undoubtedly, a lot of people came to faith through that and praise the Lord for it. But there was also, in their view, undoubtedly, those who just got caught up in the sensationalism. Um, like I was recently uh, reading an article just today, just in preparation for this. And um, oftentimes what's looked at as a um, defining moment or, or, or defining sign or indicator whether something is a revival is emotionalism. You know, what does the emotions look like? Because someone goes through a great deal of emotion, does that mean that there is, and they display that emotion, does that mean revival's going on? And, mm -hmm. and the author uh, was at least sharing, like, that could be or it might not be. Because a lot of times, just like in a sporting event, um, we can cheer for a sporting event, we can get caught up in the emotion. Um, that's, that's just science, right? So our bodies react to what's going on around us and study mob mentality and things like that, where we can often trust our emotions and our feelings and, and mm -hmm. confuse that with the Holy Spirit working. Yes. Well, and here's the thing with when we deal with emotions, so on both sides of the fence, emotions, not proof of a revival, but neither is it, you know, some people would say it's not of God. And I don't think either of those spectrums is true on either I agree. side. I agree. So, so God made us emotional beings. And uh, I think one of the things I've bumped into in my ministry was um, there are, um, you know, I did a lot of camp meetings and revivals. I wish I had time to tell you all kinds of stories, man. God's been good to us and to God be the glory. But anyway, um, so, so here's the thing. Uh, I find it interesting in the evangelical world most of our people don't have a problem with uh, tears streaming down somebody's face and weeping over conviction of sin. That's an emotion, but they do have trouble with the joy of the Lord. If the joy of the Lord breaks out in a place. And so um, to me, they're both emotions. Can you define that and, what uh, the joy of the Lord is? Cause I, I haven't heard that term before. Um, I, I don't have, I'm not in, a joyous uh, person. Meetings with, <laughs> I'm not a joyous person. <laughs> I don't believe a word of that, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you said it so we didn't have to. <laughs> um, I've been with people, you know, they're praying at the altar, and um, is there, uh, some of them have shouted with joy. All of a sudden, I'm praying with someone at the altar. It's terrible. You know, they jumped up, shouted. Okay, well, God was moving on. There's some who have uh, have had some laughter a little bit. Uh, is that they're there at the altar. And uh, so I've always thought, well, now wait a minute, I, you know, because we'll go, hold on a minute. I go, well, wait a minute. They're both emotions. Both could be from God, or both could be phony. Anytime you're talking about revival, you're going to have real and false. Matter of fact, uh, there's almost always wildfire in every revival. With you know, fire... That's wild. I, I, and I read that from, from some great theologians, and I shared a video yeah. with you guys about this with D.A. Carson and Tim Keller talking about that it. That was really good. Yeah, it was. Really it was I'll, uh, I'll, drop, I'll drop the link. I'll drop the link in the comments. Yeah, I really please like do, because that was, I mean, it was, what, seven or eight minutes, and 
Very good. Two of the best guys out. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, see, you you were so worried he was going to go 10. He went five. You just called the 12-minute video seven or eight minutes. I think okay. he might be <laughs> So, um, Price is Right rules. Um, so, I would think that based on, like, what we're talking about right now, there is um, – Something going on on the West Coast right now has been for the last few years that I think we could look at and say has a lot of the um, makings of a phony revival or a fake revival, or as you might call wildfire with um, Bethel um, Church and the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I recent, uh, I say recently, in the last couple of years, I read um, some articles within the charismatic movement. And again, I don't identify as charismatic, although I am a continuationist, but um, even a lot of the charismatics, like the Assemblies of God and some other denominations, have wholesale rejected the teachings and theology coming out of, of Bethel Church. Um, you know, things like the, um, some of the teachings, I, I remember one famous sermon, um, Bill Johnson there is talking about seeing uh, angel dust and feathers, angel feathers falling from mm-hmm. clouds, seeing the um, Shekinah glory cloud in their building and, and these feathers coming down and mm-hmm. um, the practice of gro- grave sucking, um, you know, stay, uh, essentially being on top of someone's grave and, right. and sucking the anointing from that person and taking that yeah. for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, cause you guys maybe tend to, and I don't know if you characterize yourself as charismatic, but I'll, I'll take that label. You tend to be a little bit <laughs> further um, closer to that label than I do. Um, how, and, and I think that that can get conflated with revivalism because I look at that and go, I want no part of revival if that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. I, want bibl- I want biblical discipleship and evangelism, but I don't want that. So like, how do you, how do you balance that? Because I think when I hear Bob Copeland, when I hear anybody else talk about revival, I think of Bethel and I get like a, a weird feeling in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so listen, we're all products of what we've seen and experienced. And so, you know, so if you've seen wildfire, it's just like, ah, you, you automatically take that to, to the real deal. I've always tried that. One thing I've tried to always be careful of is, I don't go run around and criticize other revivals because I was doing that for a while and the Lord spoke to me and said, you are going to stand before me for your ministry. So uh, if those things begin to happen in my ministry, then I would deal with it then and there. Um, But one thing about revival, I think our revival is it's repentance based. It begins with, um, it does, the joy comes later. It begins with sorrow and repentance and tears, and then later turns into joy. Um, so, you, and you can pretty much see that if you go study all the revivals. You know, it always began with that brokenness before God, and then uh, in some of the revivals, joy came later. You know, uh, there were some that just stayed very sober and holy uh, all the way through. Um, but if you can't get excited about people getting saved, then well, you've raised, a, you've raised, I think, an important point here, which I think is often at the heart of not just controversies about revival or, um, yeah. or, or you know, the charismata, but about many things within, yeah. uh, within the faith, which is the issue of experience, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because as you said, I, and I think it's accurate, we are, in fact, a product of our experiences. I think all of us would like to say, 
that we are, I know I would like to say, I am the perfect manifestation of only what scripture says. And I certainly seek to be faithful to that. But without question, the things that I've seen and heard and experienced affect the way I see these things. So, so let me ask you uh, this, and I don't ask this to trap you. I, I want you to feel like you can answer it honestly. When it comes to your understanding of revival, and I've heard you preach on revival many times, yeah. um, and, you're, and you're always, your sermons are always full of scripture, I also hear you sharing a lot, and I'm not criticizing this, I'm just stating it as a fact. I also hear you oftentimes citing, citing personal experience and quoting the great revivals of history and telling us the history of the revival. So how yeah. much of your understanding of revival comes from um, scripture, how much of it comes from your experience, and how much of it comes from your study of the church's history? Great question, and I'd say it's a combination of all three. I mean, obviously, uh, we've always got to go back and root ourselves in scripture. Now, there is a distinction between unbiblical and non-biblical. So, you know, I would never be involved with anything that's unbiblical. But there are times when we talk about revival, we're going to talk about things that are, quote, non-biblical, you know, because there are things that have happened in revival meetings where, you know, the scripture doesn't push us one way or the other on that issue. And, uh, and, and, and there's a difference between unbiblical and non-biblical. And I know that you guys know that probably better than I do. So I'd say it's a combination because, well, you can start from Genesis and go to Revelation and I've done, you know, I've, I've done a lot of this sometimes just to go through, went through and found the manifest presence from Genesis to Revelation, went through and found revival. There's a lot of revivals, Old and New Testament. Uh, somebody said about the book of Acts, it's the greatest book on revival ever written. So I've got shelves of books on revival, but a lot of times God will send me back, go read the book of Acts again, Bob. Greatest book ever on revival. And so... Uh, that sort of keeps me rooted, I think. And then, uh, you know, I've ha I have experienced smidgens. And, um, you know, anything that I've ever experienced, there's never been anything unbiblical. Most everything we've experienced is biblical and maybe a few things that were non-biblical where you didn't get a, uh, a direction one way or the other in that. But for the most part, everything I've been involved with, I can go to Scripture and show people, you know, there were some manifestations in some of my meetings. Well, I can take you to the scriptures and show you places, three, four, five places where that happened. So, so I, that's a great question, and it's a combination of all three. But I think that the scripture, out of those three things, has to uh, be first and foremost above the other two. Your experience, uh, reading a church history. Uh, scripture always has to trump yeah, scripture, get, has to be, scripture has to be at the forefront. I love it wasn't, that. It wasn't a test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I just, um, you were talking about finding joy in the Lord, and I just wanted to share with you, because I just preached on um, on part of John 15. Um, my church is going through through the Gospel of John. We've I've been here for coming up on two years, and we still haven't finished the Gospel of John, although that's where we started. So in, in John 15, um, you know, Jesus is talking about abiding in the vine. He is the true vine. And he says this, in, uh, starting, um, starting in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you, mm. keep, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Mm. I would, I would I, from that, I, 
I would argue that true Christian joy comes from abiding in Christ and, and, and being obedient to what he's called us to. So obedience doesn't bring joy, but obedience, yeah. obedience um, is the access to the joy that's already been given to us in Christ. That, that is good. And Eric, you read that like you've preached through the book of John recently, man. <laughs> <laughs> great, uh, great point. Yeah. Well, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, if, do you, because I'm trying to wrestle with, I'm trying to grasp the term, because again, this is a term that is not something that I have encountered um, outside of like looking at things in church history. Um so, so I just wonder, maybe we have like the same goal in mind, but we talk about things in, in different terms. And yeah. some of that can be generational. Some of it, because you do come from a charismatic background, from my understanding, and I come from a non-church background. So, um, and well, I- That's where I come from too, originally. Right. But I've, you know, outside of that, I still have, you know, had very little experience. I was in more a non-denominational Baptist church and- uh -huh. And, um, and, and trended towards reformed theology, deep reformed theology. And um, so we talk about things a little bit differently. And I just wonder if like, maybe we are having in our mind the same goal in mind, but we just talk about it differently. Like I use two terms like, you know, um, reaching our neighbor, being in the marketplace and sharing the gospel in that way. I talk about having zeal and excitement in following the Lord, dedication to him, seeking him in all things, praying, um, without ceasing. Um, and that I think is a description of what you refer to as revival. You're preaching a great sermon. Keep going, buddy. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> you're going to have to learn with Eric in order to get a word in edgewise, you have to interject. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So, so yes, I have a burning passion for revival. I believe God put it there. And I think some people think because I have such a passion for revival, I think they make some um, judgments about me that they don't know. So for example, I'm very reformed. I mean, I, I'm a five pointer, man. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm- Oh monergist. man, now I'm the one not numbered. <laughs> yeah, I'm a five pointer, I'm monergist. Uh, you know, we can go down. So, so just because I have a passion for revival doesn't, doesn't mean I'm not reformed. Now. I do believe this, and this may differ with some people. I believe that the, the sovereignty of God and the free moral agency of man, whatever term we want to use there, some say free will, some say free moral agency, that's a mystery. You know, I'm not sure we'll wrap our brains around that. And so if I'm walking on a wall, I'm going to tell you this, I'm leaning to this side because if I fall off the wall, I'm falling on the reform side. That's the side I'm going to fall off on. So, um, but, you know, to have a passion for revival, those two gentlemen, fantastic interview that you had us watch, uh, that, that you can be uh, reformed and uh, have a burning passion for revival. Now, Absolutely. I'm not afraid to go elsewhere. I'm a big Jonathan Edwards guy. I love, I've read all his stuff. I also uh, read a lot about Charles Finney. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, now Charles Finney's got some issues when you talk about Finney. Um, matter of fact, J. Edwin Orr helped me with Finney because I, I struggled with, you know, his theology was abhorrent in a lot of ways, and his methods were unorthodox. But Edwin Orr one time said, 
everything Finney said about revival applies to evangelism. Mm -hmm. So every time I read Finney, in my mind, I just automatically replace revival with evangelism. And that's what's helped me with Finney a lot, because there's some great things that I have gotten from Finney, uh, it, you know. And uh, so, so obviously, you know, he's got some theological issues, and he has got uh, uh, some, some methodologies that people will debate about him. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not going to brand him and uh, say I don't have anything to do with him. I've gleaned some good things from him. But, uh, so I'm not afraid to go read those guys, but I also know where I stand based on the scriptures. Now, now I have a really interesting question in the chat, and I'll be honest, it's gone over my head, but maybe one of you two. You're talking about Tank's question? To. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, first off, can we just acknowledge that Tank has maybe the best name ever? <laughs> like, like, Tank's the man. Who, I who love is that? So okay, Tank, Tank's from Connecticut. He, he's, uh, he's pastoring down in, I believe it's Dover. I've been Christian church down in Florida. Okay. I'll, read, I'll read the question, then I'll let Eric interpret it because it went over my head. Okay. <laughs> Can you clarify the difference between the Pauline cycle of evangelism and church planting slash making disciples where we see folks seek after God and revival? So, I I, so to answer that, I think, you know, he's looking at uh, the book of Acts, and um, we see in the book of Acts, actually, it, it's a – the main story in Acts, and, and please push back if you disagree or, or whatnot, but as I read Acts, the main story is the work of God through the Holy Spirit and the work, um, the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of um, planting churches, establishing churches, and, and just seeing what God did in that first century right after Christ um, died. So um, we see the apostles go, they, they, they set up the churches, and, and they're planting all these churches. And I think that that is right there an example in that first century after Christ died and the, um, and the church is endowed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells them and they're going out and carrying out the mission of God. That in itself is a revival as at least I've defined it. And I think as, as you've defined it as well, Bob, right? Yeah, so I, the way I understand the question, and Eric, you can correct me if I've gotten this wrong, um, Dad, would you describe uh, what we see in the book of Acts where Paul comes and preaches, people come to faith, uh, they form a church, and they preach the gospel in their city? You would describe those events in the book of Acts, all of them, as revival. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, now I understand the question. Thank you guys for Well, let's make sure you understand it, because I might have gotten it wrong. Was I, was I close, Eric? I think so. Okay. Go ahead. So so here's, here's a simple question, and I guess it comes down to where we stand on this. So is Acts chapter 2 a vision or a vestige? Hmm. If it's a vestige, it happened once, and it will never, ever happen again. If it's a vision, it can happen over and over and over again. And I think that there are, uh, when I read through church history, as well as other places in Scripture further along, uh, it was a vision. It happened again and again, because to me in Acts chapter 4, Something very similar happens in Acts chapter 2. There's different people there, but there's also some of the same people there. So Peter was in Acts chapter 2. He's in Acts chapter 4, and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So when I look at uh, church history, when I come out of Scripture and now I'm going through church history, most of those moves of God aren't much different than what we read in Acts chapter 2 in my book. 
but don't you think that even even the plant so if uh so if someone if one of your brothers went and planted a church in in charlotte right um and you planted a church and you were intentional about like you you got a core team you do all the things that you're supposed to do and you saw that church go from you know a core team of five or six and you know um and see it in the course of three years uh, bloom to a hundred individuals and that's a hundred people that have come to faith not people who are just church hopping but people right. who have naturally come to faith man that's a picture of acts two that's a picture of acts four that is a picture of the book of acts yeah, and we have we have churches all around the country and all around the world right now having that happen um the modern church planting movement now there's certainly some some um negatives there are people that are just going to the new the, the, the new um restaurant in town right they're, they're going to the new circus because we have conditioned people into a consumer mentality in christianity but there are a number of churches that are that are being planted and it's not just transfer growth it's people right. coming to faith yeah I, I agree with you i mean i don't know what else to say i mean that's that's certainly got it work mm -hmm. and uh God is on the move and doing things. So, um, you know, here's the thing about revival. Are you ready for this one? Now that we're talking about this. So most of us have our view of what it should look like. And a lot of times God will say, guess what? You don't, because it was a while where I went through church history and I was picking and choosing the kind that I wanted. And the Lord said, guess what, Bob? You don't get to pick and choose. I do. So if God comes down in mighty power, like he has from Genesis to Revelation and through church history, I don't get to pick how he comes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, here I am, uh, I'm sitting here going, you know, if it comes, it's going to look like this. And he's going, no, Bob, uh, when I come, I will determine what it's going to be like. And um, for example, okay, I did a lot of camp meetings. Every camp had its own little flavor, but it was the same Holy Spirit. So at this one camp, it was very quiet, almost like a holy hush. It was thick. I mean, you could sense the presence of God. It was conviction. The next camp I went to a week later was on their knees in tears, tears just streaming down people's faces. The camp I went to on week three was the presence of God was so thick in there, and we were praying for kids, and there were kids, some of them were uh, slumped over in their chairs. Other ones were kneeling at the altar. The power of God was moving through the room. And I've always said, same Holy Spirit, doing the same work in all three or four of those camps. And, and I, could, I could go through and list 10, 20 camps, and how each one had their own flavor, but it certainly was the same Holy Spirit who was at work. So you got to believe that churches have flavors too. Oh, completely. Every church yeah. is going to be different. And we're all, yeah. you know, we're, it's interesting. We were um, in Romans 14 last night for Bible study and, and looking at um, the differences, you know, the strong believers and the weak believers and, and how ultimately it boils down to um, us being united in Christ, uh, you know, before yeah. anything else. And we've all been purchased by the same blood. Um, yeah. We are, uh, in a sense, in a very supernatural and real sense, we are closer than our blood relatives, um, you know, by, by, because we're redeemed by Christ's blood and we're united together in him. But we also have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us now 
as Peter did at Pentecost. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there's, you know, the same Holy Spirit. We don't have anything yeah. um, different. So. Well, I have, I have two more questions, and then we probably should move on to the catechism. I'll, of course, I'll, I'll let Eric fire off one more, and then, and I would say too, Bob. Before we move on, because we've grilled you pretty hard, if you have any questions for us, you're hey, welcome to turn the gun. Great. Um, but I, but I have two questions that kind of hang together for you. So, so the first one is, um, have you ever seen revival? And if not, what's the closest you think you've seen in your own experience? Okay, great question. Um, yeah, the, there's one particular camp that I went back to year after year after year. And I think I went about 17 or 18 times in 25 years. And um, that was a place where um, the presence of the Lord sometimes just grew thick. And um, so I'll give you a couple of examples of some things that happened there that were at least smidgens, I think, of revival. So, um, and and uh, there was no manipulation in any way, shape, or form. I preached. We got done one night, and I looked at the director, and I said, Hey, let's just pray for kids. You know, we're going to lay hands on kids and pray. So they lined up and we were just praying for them. Now that was uh, about quarter to 10. That invitation, that prayer time ended at quarter to one in the morning, three hours later. It seemed like two minutes went by. I kid you not. Now the, the praise team, people were sitting out. I think they sang 18 songs and we were just praying for kids. And, um, there was a girl that came from a different camp to be a counselor that week. She was used to more people knelt on their knees and tears came down their face. That was the camp where she grew up. Well, this was a little more than she was used to. And I appreciated her honesty. She came to me on night one and she, her eyes were big and she goes, oh my. She said, I'm struggling. I go, it's okay, Tiffany, it's okay. This is God. And so Tuesday night, she came to see me with her eyes wide. Wednesday, Thursday. So all week long, I'm going, it's okay. You don't have to do anything. Just watch. God's at work. On Thursday night, that long altar call night, she comes up to me. And I sort of went, okay, what now? And she goes, with tears streaming out, I want you to pray for me. So I prayed for her. And when I left, she was just sort of sitting in uh, the door jam where you walked into that place. And so, and I went and prayed with other kids and half hour later, she came back again and she's like, I go, what now? She goes, I just want you to know that Jesus just called me to be a missionary. And I went in my mind, I went, well, wait a minute. I didn't preach on that. I mean, I'm having this with God. And God said, Bob, I don't need you. I'm at work. And I want to tell you that girl is a missionary today to this day. And I believe she's in Honduras, Honduras, Costa Rica. But um, so God was at work there. And then um, that invitation, everybody who was there that night, we didn't we didn't manipulate anything. We just started praying and time was gone. And people just said the presence of the Lord was there. And, uh, you know, there were kids called the ministry. There were kids, uh, people got saved that week. Um, So uh, that's one place where I really felt like we were smidgen and on the verge at times. Okay, so so you would say that you that was on the verge, but that wasn't revival in the sense that you're talking about. That well, you saw you you got a glimpse of it or a hint of it. It wasn't. I think God was manifesting His presence because His this girl going, uh, I go because I'm going. Wait a minute, I didn't preach on that. How could you have made this? <laughs> well, Jesus called me, and I, I remember I said to her, 
wait a minute, where did he call you? She said, sitting in that doorway over there. And I was like, oh, wow. And that, for me, that was a huge moment. Yeah. God doesn't need us. He wants to use us. We get to participate with him if we want. And um, so, so I would say that that was, you know, on the verge, you know, because God manifested his presence. There was fruit that came out of it. Um, and, you know, I mean, there was years of ministry, different camps that I did where I'd say we were on the, if, if we weren't there, we were a smidgen of it. Well, let me, let me ask my, my second and final question then. And it'll yeah. probably be the hardest question of the day. Oh, yeah. Sorry if I put you on the spot, but uh, I, I, I think it's a, a good one. This is the last question I want to ask. Um, I, I won't speak for Eric. I certainly hope and pray uh, just as much as I would like to see it, that you would see whatever, whatever term we use. I think you would call it maybe just a full-blown revival, not just a, a smidgen or a glimpse. But let me ask you this. If um, your, your day comes uh, and your life ends and uh, you've, God has not given you by his will anything more than those smidgens or glimpses, will you be disappointed or will, or will you find satisfaction in your obedience to him? Regardless I will say, I will say to God, be the glory. God, if you used me in any little way, praise the Lord. All the glory goes to you anyway. So, uh, but I'll tell you this, that burning passion inside of me, I was planted there by him. I have no doubt about that. And, uh, and, the, and there's scripture that would back up that kind of a, a heart or a, thing um man i wish we had more time but uh, well, well, we can, i, I we can have you back on again i mean this well, is I, I, there are a couple of questions that i think that i would like to get to there in the comments that i think are going to be really good but before i forget because this is really this goes to what you're saying bob about your heart is um although you and i talk about this a little bit differently mm -hmm. um i'm so humbled to have your encouragement and your prayers and your friendship knowing um, the heart that you have for the Lord. And, and I know that um, I pray that I have the next, you know, 30 years to continue to get to know you. Um, although that would make you, that would make you be, you know, go <laughs> to really, really old, but I, I just, older than dirt then. Older than dirt then. <laughs> I just pray that I can continue, continue to learn from you because um, uh, I, I mean, just your heart and your, your humility. Um, yeah. it, it's good to call you a friend. Kind words. Do, do we have a few more minutes? Uh, yeah, I think we gotta so. get off. What is? I mean, well, we don't. We don't need it. We don't. We don't need to get off. I think it's just a question of do we continue this? Because there's there's some good questions in the comments. Yeah, too. I want to I want to look at a couple of these questions because I think they're okay. very important. I'm gonna okay. handle the first one because I think because um, and I'll let you push back because you might have a difference of opinion, and then on yeah. the second one. I, I'm more specifically interested in what you have to say, Bob. So the first question comes from Wes Grau. I think that, I don't know if that's how you pronounce the yeah. name, but he says uh, both. And he's referring to a question that, that um, Matt brought up. And he said, I think scripture is clear that believers can fall away. Now the question com comes down to the perseverance of the saints, right? So if we say that, oh we wait, oh come on, are we going to try to do this in five minutes? And I feel like this is a whole <laughs> podcast of its own. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I think, I, I, I don't want to get into much of a, uh, too much of a banter because we do, you know, we are running up against the clock, and uh, my wife doesn't want me to be on too long. She wants me to run to the grocery store. So uh, you can blame Robin for that, but uh, not your Robin, Bob, my Robin. Just so happens, Bob and I. Too many Robins. Yeah, many Robins. Uh, our wives share the same name. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so so can believers now now can they fall away? Now I first wanted to find the term believer. Now a believer is someone who has been saved by Christ. Do we agree on that term? So if someone is saved by Christ, if they have been saved by God, who's all powerful, who's all knowing, who um, has all authority, who is absolutely sovereign, can then that person be plucked out of the Father's hand? Man, you, know, you just can't. You just can't help yourself. That's a good question to <laughs> the two theologians, the two young guys of the theologians. I've got an opinion. But let's uh, uh let, let's i i eric i totally get it but i'm i'm uh i don't know if i have any veto power because you're the one who with the control over the zoom call but <laughs> if i do i'm pulling it this is i will answer that question on another day why don't okay. we go to the same question and come back to it because i appreciate where you're going and i want to talk about well it i want to answer this brother's question i'm a, you know they're they're brother in christ and they're <laughs> right. asking the question and i'm saying that i believe it's quite clear when jesus says that no one can pluck pluck you from my father's hand like if you are saved, if you've uh, um, truly been bought with the blood of Christ, that no one can unbought you, right? No one can, no one can steal you away from God because He has dominion over all. Now, what we do see, I think, and we see this experientially, we see this maybe even with with Judas and some other um, some other folks who might seemingly walk away from the faith, is that. Um, there could come a time where they come back to the faith, right? So th those are those who, who um, might um, have been saved, but maybe there's sin in their life and they've, they've continued to drive a wedge between them and God. And there are some other theological things happening there that we don't have time to discuss. So we'll save that for next time, Luke. But um, ultimately, yeah. if they don't come back uh, to being a faithful follower of Jesus, then what I would say, and I think a lot of other Reformed theologians would say, um, they were never saved to begin with. They probably just fooled themselves into a belief, or maybe they were part of a cultural Christianity, or they thought they were saved, whatever that might be, but they were never truly saved to begin with. Hold on, just real quick. Yeah. I think uh, Hebrews chapter 6 might challenge that idea. So we'll, we'll come oh, back. Okay, we'll get, we'll, and that's, 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 that's valid. As young as you guys are, you're both better theologians than I am, but I'll say this. Um, you. You, some people say you can lose your salvation. Some say you can't lose your salvation, but I think the proper view would probably be you won't lose your salvation mm -hmm. because of God. So let's say we get 10 people living, uh, looks like backslidden lives, okay? Um, is it a... Uh, 1 John 2.19, or is it James 2.19, that says, uh, they went out from us because they were never really a part of our first place. So I've always felt if, I, if there's 10 people living a backslidden life over here, we don't know, only God knows, but five of them were probably never saved in the first place, and five of them will probably um, come back to a lifestyle of loving the Lord. So, uh, um, you know, no, nobody's lost their salvation in that deal. Five weren't saved. The other five are off backslidden right now, but I've seen people backslidden who come back and live for the Lord for many years to come after that. Yeah. And, and, and Wes responded, and, and thank you, brother, for responding. You know, you mentioned Hebrews chapter 6. Let's get into that at a different time. And if, yes. we, if Luke yes. and I actually disagree, maybe we'll actually debate it. I'm excited. <laughs> and, and, 
and that would be good and that'd be fun because you I, two can handle that one man <laughs> <laughs> so back to the other question that i think is very important it comes from our brother chris hall who's a, a pastor down in florida as well we got a lot of florida pastors so they, they love us down in florida um but he asks what might be um i don't have the question right in front of me it is what would be a, a sign that something might be manipulation and he's taught and this was asked back when we were looking at um, revival and, and in the midst of, of doing a revival or preaching revival or whatever you want to call it, doing a camp meeting, what does manipulation look like? Well, I think I, I think the best thing and, on that and, one is, and Bob, if we can, what would your response be to what, that question? Yeah, no, well, to to those who do manipulate. I, I, I my response to that would be read Jonathan Edwards' book on the distinguishing marks of a revival. And he, he uses, uh, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but, you know, nine sort of um, acid tests, if you will, uh, of determining whether something is a move of God or not. Yeah. And uh, so somebody who's a much greater authority than me on that uh, would be Jonathan Edwards. The distinguishing marks of a, a move of God or a revival. I think it's move of God. Yeah. Um, let, let's do this. Dad, we'll give you the final word on this subject, and then Eric, if if you have five minutes, you know, maybe we could just briefly read um, the the point out of the uh, yeah yeah, and each and yeah. each have maybe a thought or two to share. But Dad, so, but Dad, let's give you the the final word on this particular subject. Do I got about three minutes, three or four minutes? What do you want me to have? Twenty-seven seconds. Two like ten meant five, then yeah. Huh? If three or four minutes means two, like ten meant five, then yeah. No, no. Uh, so just real quickly. Here's, here's some of my favorite stories of revival, and I'll just snap them off to you. Uh, Wales, 1905, thousands of families celebrated Christmas for the first time because it was the first time dad didn't drink the paycheck. And they had money for gifts. They had money for Christmas tree. They had money for a Christmas dinner. Uh, that, that's revival. Um, there, was, there were in the Ulster revival, in Ireland in the late 18, mid, mid 1800s, the late 1800s, the railroad yards had to build many sheds to hold the tools that were returned, stolen tools from the workers there. Uh, that's uh, revival. In Wales in 1905, thousands of families went to the poorhouses, the equivalent of our nursing homes, and brought mom and dad back home and raised, uh, and then, uh, I took care of them for the rest of their lives. That's revival. Uh, there was a gentleman giving a testimony in one of the revivals, and they said, Jesus turned water into wine. He said, Jesus turned alcohol into furniture in my house. So when he came to Christ, he stopped that, and now he was able to take care of his family. So stories like that, I could sit here all afternoon long and tell you the stories of revival and the great things that God has done. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still doing them, and he's going to do them again in the days ahead. Amen. I think I think that's a great closer, because I think, despite some of the other disagreements we have, I think everyone here would agree that the single best marker of revival is spiritual fruit. Yes, a transformed life, spiritual fruit. Yep. All right. Are we ready for the question, guys? 
this is uh, this oh man i love and this is the seventh question of the blessed hope catechism and this is uh the section section one on god and and this is my favorite one uh this whole section um because like any um any reformed believer we just love to study the doctrine of god it is just about our favorite doctrine doctrine we learn about his sovereignty sovereign oh my goodness sovereignty we learn about his grace and his mercy and of course his salvific work but this is question seven and the question is what is god the answer of course is god is a spirit and does not have a body like men. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, here's the thing, and some people might think of God, and we hear this all the time, where people um, can refer to God as the big man upstairs, right? Anyway, I used to refer to God as the big man upstairs. And um, we think of God as a person. Of course, Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, but we also see throughout the Old Testament and through Jesus' teachings, even when it comes to the assurance of salvation, um, we see he says, you, can, you will not be plucked out of my Father's hand. So how does that correlate or, or how does that uh, um, jive with knowing that God is a spirit or is spirit? And it's this, that whenever we hear of God referred to as a person, the hand of God or, or something along those lines, it's anthropomorphic. I can't say this word. Anthropomorphic. Yes, thank you. It is ascribing human attributes to um, a non-human or, or to one who doesn't naturally have um, human attributes. So um, we can see that God uses those terms um, to accommodate himself to us. So it's him condescending himself to us as his creation and it's really it's a gift that's how much god loves us that is a way that god loves us that he will speak to us on in ways that we can understand bob any thoughts on god being spirit catechism question number seven on god being spirit yeah yeah now read, read, read the question and answer again eric what is God? God is spirit and does not have a body like men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we get into the whole thing that, uh, uh, of course, we know the Father and the, and the uh, spirit are both in, quote, spirit form. And, and the only one that ever had a body was Jesus when he came to the earth. And uh, just, just an amazing, miraculous God, we should stand in awe. And when I think about, you know, two of the, things that's so hard to wrap our brain around to me anyway the christian life is uh, the trinity and the um incarnation yeah uh, but i marvel at them I, I i just sit in awe looking at the wonder of it all i believe it with all of my heart but um they're, they're mysteries they are mysteries but they're certainly true yeah, the trinity and the incarnation and, and I'll just say this. Obviously, this, this particular question was not about the incarnation. It was about the nature of God who is spirit. But I, I will just say this. Not only did the Son of God, it's not just that he had a body. He has one. Right. And I think that will be a good discussion for us to have uh, in future uh, questions that this will raise. Yeah. I think one of the things that I thought about in that whole issue was like, wow, is Jesus going to be in bodily form through all of eternity? Wow. 
Well, if he's the if he's the first fruits and his resurrection is your resurrection, then I certainly hope so because I would yeah. like to be in bodily form for all of yeah. eternity. Yeah, yeah. I, I and will we see? Will we see the nail holes? You know, somebody said uh, the only man-made thing there'll be in eternity is the nail holes in Jesus. You know, I don't know how that washes with some of you, but uh, you know, will he have them for all eternity, or will they be healed up? I don't know. Why don't you take the last word, Eric? There's too many things to piggyback on. Here. I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, I I got nothing, man. I mean, there's so much. There's wow. so much. To, there's so much left to say, but we don't have time to say it. This so, is um, a moment in Bible banter. <laughs> this is a moment in Bible banter. Uh, but I'm only, you know, I'm really disappointed in. Um, in Luke today, I will say this, and, and, I, and I feel bad dressing him down in front of his father and in front of the world <laughs> to see, but he, he said that he was gunning for me. He was coming for me the other day. He was going to have lots of, of zingers for me, and I don't feel like I have endured any type of abuse, and I kind of hey, – I, I don't feel good about that. You need to go back and rewatch the tape because I made two sarcastic comments to you. That 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 is that is a one hundred percent increase from our sarcastic comments I made last time. So, I in my in my view, I have. So it only that. takes you two days to come up with two things to to say. They're not really zingers if you have to prepare them. <laughs> this is what I enjoy when I watch. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I know what I've, I've since since we've gone off, gone off track now. I guess I'll just close with this. I'll tell you guys a quick story to uh, to embarrass my mother, who we'll have on soon. She'll be she'll be a guest on a different time. <laughs> Uh, I actually asked her this week uh, if there was something she had never told me that before she met dad, she met someone else and they had a son named Eric and then she gave him away. <laughs> because I am increasingly suspicious. People don't know this. Eric and I grew up in the same town. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's too many coincidences. And, and we're, we're born in the same city. <laughs> so, Bob, do you remember what hospital, do you know what uh, hospital Luke was, was born in? Worcester Memorial. Uh, wait, UMass Memorial or just, oh no, it would have been just Memorial Hospital back then. Yeah, no, there was UMass and then there was Wisdom Memorial in those days. So. Yep, now, now they're all one big hospital, but they're oh, are they? campuses. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, so we were born in the same city, uh, only Amazing. a couple of years apart. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Bob, I mean, people don't, people might not know this, but Bob, you were the associate pastor of the church that I was the associate pastor of before coming here. So yeah, it's well, like. Will you quit grabbing onto his coattails already? Like, find, <laughs> find your own church. <laughs> well, listen, it's not my church. It is the Lord's church, and I am made just an under-shepherd. All right, well, since, since Eric is incapable for once in his life of having a final word, let's, have, let's give Bob the final word. Bob, will you uh, 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 close us in prayer? I would be glad to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, this has been a joy. It's been fun. And uh, Lord, uh, most important of all, it's been talking about the great deeds and wonders that you have done, you are doing, and you will do and continue to do. Thank you for the perspectives and the chance to, to banter together. Lord, we do pray from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, we want to live in a time of a great awakening, a great move of God. And Father, we would even dare pray to you with what we are experiencing around our globe. You, God, could take this and use it to trigger true biblical revival. 
And so from our hearts, we cry out to you to do exactly that, O oh God, that you would take this and many would come running to the cross. Lord God, many who are far from you would come to you for the first time. Many who have drifted away would come running back. And Father, we just pray that as only you can do, you would take this and you will use it for your kingdom and for your glory. And may we spend every breath and every second you give us here on your good earth, spreading your gospel and glorifying Jesus with all of our being. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And for those who've been watching, please go over to the Advent Christian Voices page and the Bible Banter page, like both. We're sorry that we weren't hosted on the Advent Christian pages this time. We were having some te technical difficulties over there. But we will see you guys next week, next next Tuesday and next Thursday at 2 p.m., hopefully on one of the, on both of those pages. So Yes, and uh, and Bob, it was a joy to have you. I, I, I won't speak for Eric, but I'd love to have you back. We can continue this discussion, or yeah. we can have another if there's anything else that interests you. You're, you're love to do it again. I, guy, so I don't know if you want to talk about talk. this subject all day long. So, sure. <laughs> all right, love all you right, guys. guys. God bless Take you. Take care. God bless you.